0: Last week, we started uh, our journey through the book of 1 Samuel. This is a book that's in the the Old Testament uh, of the the Bible, and it is recounting for us and and communicating to the people of God about the establishment of uh, the kingship uh, in Israel, uh, particularly the line of David. Uh, it's been given to God's people so that we can hope and rest and put our confidence in the Davidic heir, who for us is ultimately Jesus. Uh, but God's people throughout our history, because, uh, as we'll see as we go through the, the books of, uh, of, uh, of Samuel and as we've seen throughout the, the Scriptures, the the sons of David and David himself, had many shortcomings. They weren't always good kings. They struggled to follow God. They struggled to lead God's people in righteousness and holiness. But the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel points us that despite those shortcomings, we are always to look and hope and rest in the king that God provides, the Davidic heir that would and will come. Last week, we saw uh, God's provision of Samuel, uh, the prophet who is going to anoint uh, the the first kings of Israel. Uh, And this morning, uh, we are going to look at a prayer that Hannah, uh, Samuel's mother, prayed in response to God's provision for her, in response to God's provision for the people of God. So, if you would, look with me in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you want to follow along in one of the Bibles there in your uh, your pew, uh, this begins on page 225. And we're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning, so just at Hannah's prayer. Uh, We'll pick up on the rest of chapter 2 next week. But if you would, please follow along with me in your copy there of God's Word. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in Yahweh. My horn is exalted in Yahweh. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like Yahweh, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk mo- no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come for your mouth. For Yahweh is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Yahweh kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Yahweh makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are Yahweh's, and on Him He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of Yahweh shall be broken to pieces, Against them He will thunder in heaven. Yahweh will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this special revelation that You have given us, uh, Your very Word. We pray that this morning uh, that You would Uh, Use it to effectively draw us closer to Christ. uh, That you would accomplish your purposes for giving your people 1 Samuel in our hearts today uh, as you point us to hope and rest in your King, in Jesus. Uh, It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, So this... The prayer of Hannah that's given to us in the, 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 the very early chapters of First Samuel actually are going to give us the, the, the themes that get played out through the rest of the, the two books. Hannah's response and her perception into the character of God and the proper response that God's people uh, should have to Him are laid out in this uh, prayer for us this morning. Uh, and we're going to see a lot of the details of this prayer uh, pra- played out through the rest of the book. But this morning, we just want to focus on, uh, on these ten verses and see what can we learn from Hannah's response and how should it shape and inform our response to the realities and existence of God, to the realities and truth that He works and moves in the lives of His people. Notice first, Hannah's response here is to rejoice in the God of salvation. Look there in verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in Yahweh. My horn is exalted in Yahweh. Hannah has just experienced this miraculous work of God in her life. Delivering her, we saw last week, from the effects of sin, of shame, of suffering, and her response is to rejoice in the God who saves. She responds to this God by celebrating all that He is and what He has done for her. Here, as she's talking about salvation, we might... Could term it a little s salvation that Hannah primarily first is focused on the provision of Samuel for her and what that resulted in. But when we begin to step back and see the larger picture, we see that this salvation that God provides is much bigger than what the baby Samuel could bring. He would anoint one, David, who also could not bring this salvation. We'll see, Hannah gets to it later at the end of uh, this this prayer of hers, uh, who the ultimate Savior is. But it should bring us to begin to reflect and think when we experience God's provision, His blessing, His little s or large s salvation in our lives is our first response to rejoice in him to celebrate because look at what she says my heart exalts in yahweh my horn is exalted there she's talking about her strength and pointing to the fact that her strength also comes from him Uh, do we take time to do that we should recognize and see the fact those of us who have put our hope and our trust in Christ, uh, we have all we could imagine to praise and thank Him for, to rejoice in the salvation that He has provided and what He has done for us. But when we begin to recognize and see that it's the big things as well as the little things, how much of our heart and our time do we actually slow down and think about and reflect on all that God has done in our lives and His provision for us? Take in a breath. That came from the Lord. That each time you breathe in, your lungs are able to convert what is floating around in our air so that you can move and live. Thank God for that. Kids, every time you fall down on your scooter or your skateboard or whatever it might be and you get a scab on your knee, do you know how incredible a scab is? And that over time that heals? And then you look at your knee and it's like, it looks like it did before. Do you take time then and there to rejoice and celebrate? God's goodness to you in that little provision in your life and in your heart? Or you think back to other times in your life. God's provision for you of friends, of family, of Himself when you don't have friends and family, of the, His goodness and kindness of all of the blessings that are ours in Jesus for what he has done, Hannah points us and says that what should be the go-to response, the heart response of the people of God is to celebrate, to rejoice and respond to him in the midst of everything that we experience and everything that we are facing. But notice this Response isn't just a response of God, this response of rejoicing, but it also it has a dual function. It also functions as a response to enemies. Remember what Hannah had been experiencing from Peninnah, her husband's other wife, her rival, who made it her chief ambition and aim in life to just make Hannah miserable and to heap more and more shame and suffering on her. Notice, what Hannah says about this rejoicing at the end of verse 1. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. You see, Hannah, year after year, all that she experienced from Peninnah, what she's modeling and showing us is that what was going on in her her mind and her heart and her reaction and using her emotional energy and capacity to think about how am I going to Stick it to her. What could I come back with just to put her in her place? How could I multiply the pain and tears that she's brought into my life and just put it back on her? No. Hannah instead says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus and rejoice in my God. And it ultimately will be this rejoicing that results in the derision and ridicule and mocking of my enemies. I am going to entrust myself to my God and I'm going to use my heart and my mind to focus in responding to my persecutors, those who shame me and attack me. My response is going to be to rejoice in the God who has been with me and who is with me in the midst of all of this. This isn't something that we just see with Hannah. Think about later on in the New Testament, Paul and Silas. You remember they were uh, serving the Lord in Philippi, uh, proclaiming the good news that salvation comes through Jesus, uh, and through their, their proclamation of the, the good news of the gospel, uh, and through the work of Christ, uh, a slave girl was... Delivered not only from the oppression of her human masters, but she was also delivered from the demons that were assaulting her. And Paul and Silas were arrested because of what they were doing as they were proclaiming the good news of the message of Christ. And in prison, Paul and Silas, it recounts for us, their response wasn't to think about how can we boycott These business leaders in Philippi who would work and respond and want to silence the good news of the message of the gospel. What could we do to to rebel against and and shame the, the, the political leadership in Philippi that they would let something like this go on? No, what was their response? Their response in the prison was to rejoice and to sing praises to their God. What about us as we experience suffering and struggle, uh, not just from uh, just brokenness in this world, but from enemies, persecutors, those who attack and malign us, not for our sin against them, but for our following and trusting and hoping in Jesus Is our first response to be, what can I put out on social media to put these people in their place? How can I mock and deride them through my words, through my memes? Uh, do, do Do I contemplate how to bring shame on them? Or is my focus, like Hannah, in the midst of this, to respond and react with rejoicing? And let it be my hoping and my proclamation of the sufficiency of Jesus, even in this situation, be what speaks loudest. Be what my my enemies see and hear, and let the Lord use that. Trust in Him to be my vindicator. Trust in Him to be my deliverer. Because that's what resulted in Philippi, wasn't it? Through the, the rejoicing of Paul and Silas, what ended up happening? The Philippian jailer, their oppressor, their enemy, falls on his knees before King Jesus, and he repents and he hopes and puts his faith in him. That also is an adequate response. This movement from rejoicing to repentance. And we see that same movement happening in Hannah's prayer. Look in verse 2. There is none holy like Yahweh, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For Yahweh is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Here, Hannah focuses in on the character of our God as he is the holy and righteous one. Notice even the, the term she uses, there's no, none holy like him. There might be other things that are set apart, that are different, that are unique, that are special. But God is the holy one. In fact, we saw it last week is the the term that Hannah used to to, to pray to him. uh, And that, that first Samuel, this term that will come up, that he is Yahweh of hosts, the one who is Lord and King and Ruler over all things in heaven and all things in earth. It is because of who he is that Hannah says the proper response to God and his character and his holiness and his righteousness should be repentance. And she calls People to repentance through this prayer. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Hannah is speaking out to those who persist and continue in their rebellion against God, in their treason against the high king and ruler of all things. That Hannah says the proper response to hearing of the salvation of God to witnessing and and recognizing his holiness and who he is should be repentance, to silence our proclamation and our claims of pride and arrogance, to silence our heart and our actions who decide to live in a way that says, I want to be king. I want to be ruler. I know better than God how to live my life, how to use my body, how to work and move in this world. But notice, this this call to repentance, it precedes the judgment of God. It is a call of grace. You see that? Look down in verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of Yahweh shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. Yahweh will judge the ends of the earth. Hannah is saying that that this God, this God who has knowledge, according uh, uh, up in verse three, for God is a, Yahweh is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. He is the judge of all things. How can he be the judge of all things? Well, it's because he's created all things. Because He has created all things, He is the ruler of all things in heaven, on all things on earth, on each and every one of us. And He rightfully and righteously sits in the place of judgment. And that judgment is coming. Hannah's prayer proclaims it. The scriptures demonstrate and show it, that God will judge everyone Throughout the entire earth, no one will escape his righteous judgment. The response then would be to be found as one who is faithful. This doesn't mean I, I, I'll work and merit my, God's good judgment on me, but the faithful one is one who is hoping and trusting in the provision of God to deal with our sins. The wicked are those who continue to reject God and His provision and want to set themselves up as king. But God says here, that judgment, that punishment, it's coming. But it hasn't come yet. These enemies who exalt themselves over against God and over against His people, Hannah says, this God is patient And He is merciful. And even now, Peninnah, my enemy, God invites you to turn from your rebellious and arrogant talk and turn and hope in Him. Because salvation can be found. The God who saved and redeemed me will and can save you when you turn and hope and trust in Him. Who is is this God? Who is this God that would offer forgiveness, that would offer salvation to creatures who have rebelled against Him? Yet this is the very thing we see. Not only do we see Him offering forgiveness, but we see Him being the one who secures it through becoming one of His creatures, through suffering and dying. This God here is This morning, through Hannah's prayer, invites and calls all of us to turn from our rebellion and hope in Him. Hannah says the judgment is coming, but there is still time to repent. The other side of that, though, is what it should bring for God's people who are suffering and struggling is to know and see even what God's... God's final judgment is going to be there in verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked will be cut off in darkness. God will ultimately deal with the enemies of his people. Justice and righteousness will come. But we may say, but I'm still waiting. I'm still struggling. I'm still suffering. The longer this judgment God is patient to bring it about, the more that may mean that I find myself waiting in the in-between times, wondering sometimes and questioning, does he care? Is he active? Is he working? Is he moving? Is he going to do anything about the suffering and struggles that I face? Notice where Hannah's prayer points us. Not just that we should rejoice in the God of our salvation, not just that we should repent before the coming judgment, but that we as God's people should rest in His providence. Providence is a theological term that describes God's active work in the world, governing all of His creatures and all of their actions. You see how Hannah highlights this throughout the middle section of this prayer? Look in verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Now, Hannah is saying that there are times when God breaks in this end-time judgment and does a reversal of the oppression that's being experienced of the sin and the rebellion and the pride. Notice these reversals that she highlights. And remember what Israel was experiencing at this time as they were experiencing the persecution of the outside nations during the time of the judges, that Hannah says God has been known and does at times break in before this judgment and break the bows of the one and lift up his feeble and suffering people. There, there are times where due to the, the wickedness and the impression of others who value their own stuff over against, uh, against us, uh, those who find themselves to be full now, God at times does work and bring it about so that they find themselves hungry and having to hire themselves out for bread, it tells us in verse 5. And those who were hungry have ceased to be hungry. Or Hannah highlighting her own situation, about barrenness, about the effects of sin and brokenness in the world, that God says, that Hannah says, yeah, there are times where God does break in. He did it in my life. Here, uh, Hannah doesn't later definitely have seven children, but here she's using that term to highlight and show about the, the the fullness of God's provision and His accounting and work in the world. But we see here Hannah is saying, "Let's rest and take comfort in this." But it's not just these big things; it's not just the times where God breaks in at these little small uh, places where He's bringing about His His judgment and His justice. Many times we still have to wait because not all of us experience the bows of the mighty who oppress and assault us being broken. Not all of us who experience suffering uh, from uh, the oppression of others see that turned around in our lifetime. There are many of us who still suffer and struggle under physical suffering, childlessness, sickness. What does that mean about our God? His activity and His work in the world. Notice what Hannah draws our attention to in verse 6. Yahweh kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Yahweh makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are Yahweh's and on them He has set the world. Hannah is saying everything that we experience and see in the world is a result of God's activity and His action in His creation. Anytime that there is a death that occurs, it's because it's the working out of God's plan. Anytime new life comes about, it is because God has been active and working and moving in the world. It may mean at times that we as God's people are the ones who experience the life. But there are going to be many times, and we've seen it throughout the scriptures and throughout our own lives, that God's people experience death. But what we see here is God saying through Hannah that even if death defeats us prior to the return of Jesus, God is still able to raise us up. Notice what he says Yahweh kills and brings to life, he brings down to Sheol, that's the place of death. And he raises up. Hannah has confidence in the work of our God to bring back from the dead and to work about resurrection. And even as she continues to go on in saying that there's times where uh, when anytime somebody who is poor is, is raised up, anytime anybody who is made rich is uh, made rich, that comes from the Lord. He is at work in all things. But what it gets us to, and we'll see this play out through the rest of the book of Samuel is in all of these situations, as this highlights and shows out, up over Hannah's life, it shows up in Samuel's life, it shows up in David's life, it shows up in Saul's life. All of this is the work of God who's working and moving and active in the world. How is he able to do this? How is he able to accomplish his purposes? Well, Hannah tells us it's because the pillars of the earth are Yahweh's, and on them he has set the world. He is the king and ruler. He's made it, and so he is definitely active in his world. Many, if they believe in a God at all, uh, think that uh, he is just some distant creator that sits back and sets his world in motion, and it just carries on through naturalistic or materialistic purposes. Uh, Some uh, would deny the existence of God at all, and everything that we experience is just the process of, uh, of chance. The Scriptures say no. We have a God who's not only created all things, but He is active and moving in every aspect of the life that we live and everything that we experience in the world. And everything is happening according to His purposes. He is a good and faithful and present and relational God. Notice how that comes out. The term that Hannah uses over and over again in your uh, copy of the 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 bible you'll see it there capital l capital o capital r capital d hannah is referencing the covenant name of god this creator has entered into our world and made a covenant and established a relationship with humanity ultimately he brings about the fulfillness of this through taking on flesh himself to deliver and save us do we doubt that god cares Do we doubt that God is active and moving? Do we struggle when we are the ones who are experiencing the poverty or the suffering or the death? Hannah points us to our God of providence, who is active and working and accomplishing his purposes for his glory and ultimately for the redemption of his people. And that's lastly where she puts us and points us that not only are we to rest in God's providence, but we are to look for the reign of His King. Look in verse 10. The adversaries of Yahweh will be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. Yahweh will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. You see, at this time, there was no king in Israel. Remember The end of Judges repeated this. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. But how? Confidently remembering God's promise of His provision to ultimately send one who's going to deal with sin and shame and suffering in the world. Of remembering God's promises to Abraham that from you, Abraham, kings will come. One king that will bring blessing to the entire world through you. Hannah here, even now, is hoping and trusting and resting and depending upon God's king who will come. God's king who will put an end to sin, to suffering, to shame. Notice the point here. God will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointing. We're going to see as uh, 1 Samuel transpires, at first, it's the people who pick a king of their own choosing that the Lord allows them to put on the throne. And he's a wreck. But God establishes his king, David. And to David, he makes a promise that David, one of your sons is going to sit on my throne forever. He will be my anointed one. Of his kingdom, there will never be an end. Many times throughout the book of the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel it looks as if this kingdom will come to an end it looks as if God's king will never gain his throne it looks as if he has been defeated and he has fled but what we see is the whole time God's at work God is accomplishing his purposes and God's king will sit on the throne In fact, we see that the one that God promises who will come is Jesus. And he accomplishes his great work through becoming one of his people, not establishing his kingdom first off with might and power and armies, but by humbly suffering, of dying. So much so that his followers are going to wonder has he been defeated? Has he lost? Because losers die. But God says no. The one who brings it down to Sheol also raises up. And Jesus was risen from the dead. And now, God's King, God's anointed one, sits at His right hand. And all we have to do is wait. Do you realize that? All we have to do is wait and trust and rely upon Him who is coming. But that's hard. That's why we have prayers like this. That's why God has put things like this in the Scriptures. For when we struggle, for when we wrestle, for when it becomes hard to wait, that we are pointed back to the character of our God who brings salvation who will bring judgment, who works and is active in your life and mine now, and who ultimately, His King will come back and make all things right. This is the good news of the Gospel. The hope we proclaim. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your blessing and Your mercy to us. We thank You that Jesus is the true anointed King. Your King. We thank You that there is no end to His reign. We thank You that He rules now. And we pray that You would give us hope and confidence in Him. In Christ's name, Amen.